We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. setting the pace i'm your host alex golden and filling in for michael j Fachi today you know fachi has got such a big personality i thought i gotta get two guests on to fill that void so we've got on pacer fans christopher weech and tyler christian christopher how's it going man hey man it's good how you doing alex i'm doing great love the shirt by the way it looks awesome on you i'm not gonna lie setting the pace (laughs) t-shirts if you guys want one message me they are still for so we got a couple left uh Tyler, my man, how's it been? How you doing? I'm doing excellent, man. Been a loyal listener for the past two years, and it's a real honor to come on here. Hey, I appreciate that. I'm sure Fachi senses love as well because we always like putting a face with a Twitter account because, you know, for so many Twitter accounts out there, you don't really know who you're talking to. So this is an awesome way for us to do this. And so I basically put a tweet out just if everybody's wondering what generated all this and how I picked these two awesome guys, Tyler and Chris. I basically just said, throw out your ideas. For what you want to talk about and we'll come on the show and talk thursday and you know i won't lie tyler i was really impressed with what you said because you said let's play the role of gm and determine who has a long-term spot on the roster and look i'm i'm going to be talking the offseason at nauseam with Fachi once the season's over so tonight i'm basically allowing you guys to have the platform and i'm just gonna maneuver the conversation so if you want my opinions on all this stuff It'll probably happen more so in the offseason, guys, and you hear a lot of it, a lot of the same stuff probably. But uh, uh, at this point, I wanted to have some fans on and get their thoughts because I'm sure when you hear some of the ideas I throw out, you're like, what is Alex thinking? Or I kind of like that, you know. So uh, bounce off your ideas with me. We'll start with you first, Tyler, since this was your idea. Um, who do you think has a long-term spot on this roster? Well, I will say I think the biggest breakthrough guys out of the newbies uh, that came on board, that's not including the rookies, though, 
I think Aaron Neesmith and Jordan Mora have definitely stated their case as far as uh, being long-term guys. So like Kevin Pritchard in his front office, one of the best things that they've done is find uh, diamonds in the rough. Guys who aren't getting like a right amount of minutes, but the talent is there to where they think they can reach uh, an even higher ceiling than their current team might think. And the numbers are pretty great as far as they've uh, gone. I mean, Aaron Neesmith's playing double the minutes uh, that he has. Uh, doubling the average amount of field goal attempts, uh, sinking threes really good, even averaging double-digit uh, uh, points per game for the first time. Just the uh, he is streaky, admittedly, and that's why I think like I don't see him as a long-term starter. But as far as uh, a guy who can score and, more importantly, play hard-nosed on-ball defense to where you know that he's going to give full effort, that is definitely a guy that you want for the future. And then as for Nawara, he was initially brought on board uh, as uh, as a guy like to provide shooting off the bench because we didn't have too much of it reliably, at least outside of Matherin. But since he's come over, again, increased amount of time to play because he was uh, saddled on the back end of Milwaukee's bench with the amount of vets that they have come off of there. He's taken even more threes. He's uh, taken more field goal attempts. The percentages have gone up very well in both of those. As crazy as it is, he was a 38.6 uh, with uh, Milwaukee. He's up to 49.2 in a Pacers uniform. Wow. Already a pretty good three-point shooter before. He was uh, making 39.2% uh, of his uh, attempts in Milwaukee. And I think a lot of this off of that off of the surge uh, that he's had over the past uh, month plus, he's making 45.6% of them in a Pacers uniform, which is really impressive. I mean... He has had increased time in which he's had to uh, start, uh, but uh, start a little bit more often. So that does put the numbers a bit up. But again, the scoring output that he's made, scoring 10 plus points in 10 consecutive games, that game he had against the Hawks where he put up 25 in the second quarter off the bench, which was a franchise record. I know it's small sample size at the same time. I think it's only 19 games, I believe, that he has played so far. And as much as... Uh, we did jump on board with Jalen Smith when that happened. And when he got resigned, like, of course, like Jalen Smith experiment as a starter and then going back to bench, it hasn't gone as we thought it would. So that's why I'm not going to buy too like high on hype that he's going to reach yet another ceiling in his game. But I still think that there is a lot of room for him to grow because him changing settings has really broken into a really good rot rotational player that he can be for the future. Yeah, I mean, great stuff there on both those guys. I think a lot of fans have been really impressed, specifically with Aaron Neesmith and what he's been able to do this year because, like we've talked about, that's when things really started changing, and Rick Carlisle has had nothing but high praise for Aaron Neesmith all season long, talked about he's the kind of guys that we're going to have here. I think he said that after the Bucks game last night. So you know that Carlisle is very high on Neesmith because of his he's an unselfish guy that isn't afraid to do the dirty work. And then you bring up great points about Jordan Moore. I mean, this guy has been so efficient. I mean, it's almost like, you know, Star Wars numbers, how efficient he's been. And I think the Jalen Smith comparison is very smart because a lot of us got excited for Jalen Smith and what he could become. But I think we all kind of have tampered expectations with Jordan Mora compared comparative to Jalen Smith. And I think the big reason why is last year, the rebuild was so fresh. It was so new. And we were just like, oh, we got all these young guys. Oh, this is a lottery pick. Same draft as Halliburton. Like, let's go. You know, with Wara, we're like, okay, second round pick from Milwaukee. You know, good shooter off the bench. Like, I think everyone kind of expects him to be in that bench role. 
And that's what makes it a little bit easier to like tamper your expectations. But Chris, I'm curious your thoughts on all of this and then give me maybe, uh, you know, somebody that you think should be a, a lock for the long-term spot here on this roster. Yeah. So I kind of broke it down a little bit different. I have kind of four categories where I guess as a GM, I would break it down for the first category is untouchables. I feel like we all would pretty much have the same two It'd be Tyrese and Ben Matherin. I'm not really, you know, breaking any news there. Uh, my second category is we have to get bowled over to move these guys. And that's Andrew Nemhard and Miles Turner. Miles Turner has just fit so well with Tyrese. I think it's gone better than any of us could imagine. I've always been a Miles Turner guy, even during the Sabonis era. Uh, you know, so I, this is kind of what I always thought he could do. He was playing out of position. So this is great to see. Nemhard is just, he just reminds me of like a taller, longer Jalen Brunson. I mean, the guy is just, you know, second round pick. It took Brunson some time to develop, and we've seen some really good things from Nemhard. I mean, he's out there guarding LeBron James one game, and he's going to go out there and guard Steph Curry the next. I mean, he's been really incredible. My third category is trade bait slash matching salary guys. Like, not necessarily I want to get rid of these guys, but if we need to make a move, which we're going to at some point, Buddy Heal, TJ McConnell, Duarte, and Daniel Tice, those guys fall in that category if we want to go out and get a certain level of, you know, uh, financial uh, contract-wise. And then there's everybody else. And I know it's tough because everything you said about Neesmith, I, I agree with. Laura, I agree with. But you have to give to get something. And the Pacers have so many assets right now that it feels like – and we have at least three first-round picks. And that Rockets pick is going to be number 32-31. That's basically a first-round pick. I don't know if we can make all of this – that happen on this one roster. So for me, uh, I kind of broke it into those categories. I don't want to move these guys like Neesmith and Laura, but you might have to to give to get. So that's kind of how I broke it down. I'm gonna I'm gonna just ask you quickly because you know Isaiah Jackson. I didn't really hear him in 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 your conversation for like the rest of the guys. Where are you at with Isaiah he, Jackson? I love Isaiah Jackson. He takes my breath away in so many <laughs> moments. And he's definitely a guy that I would want to put in the more bold over. But I'm also enamored with this team. It's been such, like you just said, it was such a bre breath of fresh air watching the rebuild happen. I mean, it was so stale seeing the same starting five, three, four, five years. And we're just like the middle of the pack team. And then finally we are getting that moment. And so... I'm just trying to be realistic on, yes, I would not want to move Isaiah Jackson specifically. He's probably the highest out of the guys that we didn't name or that I didn't name. Um, I'm the highest on him. But if I had to move him to get something bigger or better that fits long term, I would do it. Like if I had to move Isaiah Jackson and OG and an OB deal, that's not going to be the thing that holds me back from making that deal. That's what I mean. I got you. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with most of your tiers there. Uh, you know, Isaiah Jackson is an interesting guy. I don't think I'd be afraid to move off of him either just because of how well Miles has fit in so far. And we haven't really seen them play together at all, so I don't know if that's ever going to be something that Rick Carlisle believes in playing them together. I think we kind of saw the blueprint for the kind of guy you need next to Miles, and that was going smaller and getting a shooter out there because – Putting a non-shooter out there that's a little bit of a big can kind of cause some cross matches that doesn't allow Miles to punish other centers in the league. And if they're able to put 
wings on Miles. I do think that that messes with him a little bit more. He's gotten better about being able to take advantage of the mismatch down in the post. I think we've seen that a lot more this year, like running straight to the rim and just kind of that little hook shot that he has, like that quick hook or that turnaround jumper that he has in the post. That to me has been something that we've really seen from Miles more differently this year. Um, but still, I think he's a guy that doesn't mind being on the perimeter. So it's uh, it's one of those things. I just think he likes being able to go up against centers like Rudy Gobert type level guys compared to going up against a Jaden McDaniels, right? I mean, that's just a, mm-hmm. a difference of, you know, who they're able to guard. And we saw the Lakers do it, I think. And Sacramento did it when we had Jalen and Miles out there together. So Tyler, based on those tiers, I'm just curious, is there anything that you disagreed with? Uh, not too much that I disagreed with, actually. Uh, several of the players, uh, as far as like the trade bait, I did have TJ McConnell in my list. I think it is... Uh, it will be time coming in next season to give Andrew Nemhard the keys uh, to the second unit because I understand why they've been starting him as uh, an off-ball two uh, alongside Halliburton. I just don't see that panning out as like a long-term project. I think uh, with Halliburton being out and allowing Nemhard to run uh, run the offense more, and in particular with a lot of players that uh, would be presumed uh, second unit players next year, going back to Neesmith and Nwora, who have been getting a lot of playing time with him uh, recently. I just think it's time that uh, as much as I love McConnell, I've loved his scrappiness uh, on the court, being a pest on defense uh, and being just a really good veteran. We can't be holding back these young guys for so long. And McConnell's contract, it honestly does take up like a bit of money, even for like it being in that uh, seven figure salary. I mean, if you can get out of uh, the final year where it's like nine point three million on the books, albeit that's only it's only partially guaranteed at five million, panning out more financial flexibility for the future is good. It allows Nemhard uh, to be in a more definitive role moving forward. And I would also transition to, uh, as far as uh, veterans, I would resign George Hill as uh, on the veteran minimum. And uh, keep him as that veteran presence and more importantly, slot him in as the third point guard on the roster. That way you're not carrying a glut of four as you would if you kept McConnell, for instance. And then as far as the trade, I did have Duarte in there. I just think that uh, that toe injury that he suffered the season before just really set forth of him just never fully getting out of like the funk that he's been in since. His role is just never been fully defined this year i just think he needs like a refresh in a different setting and then as far as daniel tice i know that they very likely they try to find a trade partner for him during the deadline but uh it depends on like who is going to want to take him on with the contract again because the original deal he signed with houston was seen as an overpay to begin with too like how many guys are going to take on a, a big at his salary so it's either find a partner or even just like wave him uh, for that matter. I know it would, I know it would be like a hefty price tag to do, but uh, as far as building up uh, depth in the bigs, that's something you can use one of those like lower draft picks for uh, in the upcoming draft too. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I have, as far as the play GM, O'Shea Brissett, always been uh, always putting it out on the court on offense in particular, be very flashy. The problem is he just doesn't get a lot of minutes, uh, and uh, it's never been consistent. Uh, I just think it's it's best to let him walk, even though he would be a bargain in uh, free agency. 
clear space for uh, other guys to prosper, unfortunately. Yeah, that's interesting right there. I mean, I'm I'm sure that they've got a lot of decisions to make there with all the players you talked about, especially McConnell, because from what I've been told, you know, Rick was not a big fan. I even I remember Jay Michael coming on saying like, yeah, McConnell's going to have to go because he doesn't really fit Rick's system. But they hired Rick, and like one of their first offseason moves that made that they made that year before getting Tory Craig was re-upping with TJ McConnell. So you know, I think that was more of like the Pacers front office really liked likes him, and I think that Rick Rue to love him. So that connection could be too personal to maybe move him, but I do think in the right trade, you, you gotta you gotta like you said, take the training wheels off Andrew Nimhart, and you gotta let him have that role where he's able to fail at times. And I think that that's okay. I think I think Carlisle is so high on Nimhart. I mean. The praise that he gives him, like if you start talking about Ben Matherin and Spotlight and stuff like this, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, Carlisle will just be like, uh, this is about the team. It's about the team. But then he's talking about Nimhart and he's like, well, that's top 10 guy right there, you know. So he's he's not afraid to like let Nimhart get his shine a little bit. And I think that's partially because Rick knows that Nimhart can handle the high praise and not like not letting it get to his head. Where Matherin, maybe it'll be a little bit more younger. Maybe it gets him a little bit too entitled. And that's not a bad thing. It's just how how a lot of these guys are there. They're hungry to be great. So um, I, I will say this. I think O'Shea, it's very interesting to, to see what they do with him because we do know that he is close with Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton has publicly said that's one of his best friends. So does that relationship matter? I, I think it does a little bit because you also have to remember Buddy Heald will be on an expiring contract. Do they use that contract to trade? somebody and I think Daniel Tice you know you said it's a bad contract a little bit over over bit of an overpay but I think there's only two years left on it and I want to say the last year I'm going off the top of my head it's like a partial guarantee so club option uh, actually it's a club option so he's only really got one year left so he's technically an expiring contract next year so I don't think it'll be as bad and I think if you trade him to like a team that's trying to be a playoff contender they might talk themselves into him a little bit more because I didn't think he looked that bad in the minutes that he played for us when he was out there. Now, had some bad lineup numbers because I think the style of play is not his style, but I do think that he's still a quality backup center that's on a decent contract. But Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on the Daniel Tice stuff, and do you think that his contract is going to be hard to move? Uh, it just depends. It depends on if you – if you can use them as salary filler for a bigger deal, you know, mm -hmm. if, I mean, that 9 million comes in handy and, and you guys laid it out. Like if I have to get rid of TJ McConnell or Tice, it's going to be Tice, not only just for on the court, but just sentimental reasons. I mean, I'm just uh, McConnell's game doesn't scream anything that's, you know, flashy or anything. He's just grit. And yeah. I feel like he's shown a lot. He's made the guys grow a lot. Um, when you guys were talking about possibly moving Buddy Heald, and I had them in the trade bait, if you move Buddy Heald, uh, Tyrese has said his best friend in the world is Georges Niang. I would just go sign Niang to a contract, too. I mean, we can <laughs> take a guy at the four. I mean, it's just one of those things. You kind of have to work the game a little bit, and if that's somebody he's close to, he's a free agent, and I feel like you get him at you know somewhat fair value. Isn't that somewhat of the game you play as the GM? You got to make your players happy too. No, I completely agree. I think that you have to talk with Halliburton about any decisions you make, and that's not like catering too much to your franchise star. But at the same point, you've been burned the last couple of times. You thought you had your face of the franchise, so 
they've done a much better job of making him feel loved, welcomed, like he's the guy. I know they got his opinion on what what he wanted to do with the draft. Uh, we we heard that he visited with Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin before the draft happened, and kind of, you know, just said, "Hey, you know, if this works out with me and you, like, let's let's go." You know, he was ready for that, and I think in the long term picture, getting those guys, he probably knew that okay, that could be Buddy's replacement. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's not mm-hmm. dumb, but I, I think he understands. Like, you know, Buddy's my guy, O'Shea's his guy, James Johnson has been his guy, and I know Tyler, you brought up, you know, extending George Hill or bringing him back, whatever to be that third string point guard. And I think that makes a lot of sense because if you're looking at your third string point guard, you don't want to pay someone like TJ McConnell, almost $10 million to be your third string point guard. You want a, a veteran that doesn't have to play every night. That's going to be a good locker room guy. And I think George Hill, like you said, he still has enough in the tank. If you have an injury, you can trust him to do the right thing for 10 to 15 minutes a night. I think the experience that Nimhart has gotten this year makes you feel really comfortable that he can handle a heavy load of minutes. So um, I thought that was a great point, Tyler. So yeah, thanks uh, for that. I mean, I'm just, uh, it's been weird watching like some of these lineups uh, this year in particular, the guard heavy ones in which like uh, knowing that's not going to be the future, at least we assume that case uh, because like, at least like the trade rumors that they were tied to, like there were very specific types that they were targeting specifically those power forwards with size, several of whom were defensive minded, at least. Uh, it was rough to watch that uh, at times uh, this year. And uh, I'm just hoping that uh, we do uh, size up going to the future because that's what's really going to be key to uh, take on uh, a lot of the Titans that are growing uh, in the NBA right now, namely Milwaukee, which has our number because of the fact that they can just bully through us. Like as long as we can get like guys with size and if we have to dangle uh, certain players that although they might uh, be good, like for a uh, locker room presence and guiding the young guys and providing good minutes off the bench again, namely, namely referring uh, to McConnell, you got to make that move right there. Sometimes it's the toughest decisions uh, in the present. They're the ones that pay off the most in the future. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the Pacers have been pretty, pretty safe with a lot of moves they've made. Like you can, you can say that the Sabonis trade for Halliburton was risky, but I don't think it really was. I don't think they've really jumped out there and made a trade that felt super risky to me anyway. Like for example, what we saw Dallas do to get Kyrie Irving, that's a risky move, but, and we're seeing how that's paying off, right? The Pacers have never really done that. They've only made moves when their hands felt forced, like the Paul George situation. Uh, I don't think they thought Sabonis wanted to be here long-term. Sabonis clearly was not being utilized the way he is now in Sacramento by Carlisle that way. And the Brogdon thing, I mean, I don't think Brogdon's really good enough to warrant, you know, like feeling like, I'm trying to say this the right way. I don't think Brogdon's good enough where you feel like he's a franchise player. He's a he's a good piece, but he's coming off the bench in, in, in Boston for a reason because he's not like this top 25 player that you're worried about catering to. And I think that that's where you just have to, you have to be able to play your cards right. And I think the Pacers are at this point now where they've got their star in Halliburton. They feel good about Matherin. They like Nimhard. Miles is here. They got all these draft picks. Could they be a little bit more risky? And I think that's not a bad thing, but I just think it, it would be smart to see that pay off if they could make more of a risk with one of their trades. So Chris, I'm going to throw it back to you. Do you have any trade ideas or any trade targets written down? So 
a lot of people obviously have said John Collins. I have one that I kind of like, which is Buddy Heald straight up for Tobias Harris. They're both on expiring contracts. Tobias Harris fills a need at the four, and I think him and Miles will pair halfway decent together. And then you're not really giving up any extra long-term money other than you're using some of your cap space to to make that trade. But in doing so, I just think that, you know, it just it, it's a better fit. Now, this is this is all saying, like, if we draft Jairus Walker uh, with our first round pick, I don't know if I want to make that move because I want him playing the four. But that's just a trade that I've kind of thrown around on the trade machine. It's a little bit tough finding trades that you want to do because you don't know exactly what teams are going to be trying to do. I mean, you know, the Hawks are going to want to make a move at some point, but it's just hard to see, you know, once the playoff failures happen for certain teams, that's when the uh, stuff will get desperate and we'll see some stuff happen. Well, let me ask you this real quick. Do you think that Philadelphia would view Buddy Hill for Tobias Harris as a fair trade straight up? Uh, it just depends on, you know, what happens, I guess, with like James Harden, I guess, would be the thing. Because yeah. if you lose James Harden, you lose that salary, and then you also make that trade for Buddy, and you it's a, a difference of like 15 or $16 million in salary between those two. Mm-hmm. You get off a lot of money. It just gives them options then to try to go and do something else at that point because their real only big salary would be uh, Joel Embiid so that's kind of the thinking I don't know if they'd have to give up more or less but that's just one I kind of thought of that you know I think Tobias could fit with the core that we have without talking draft picks currently mm-hmm. do we do we happen to know how old Tobias Harris is because I am not he, sure. they're both 30 years old okay gotcha gotcha okay yeah yeah, yeah I kind of agree with you about the Jairus Walker thing but I also think is Rick Carlisle gonna throw a top five, top six lottery pick into the starting lineup, or is he going to make them earn it like he did with Ben Mather? And I think we may have seen the example this season of how that pick might be treated this upcoming year. So that's why I think you might even see Neesmith get the start if they don't go out and get a veteran like an OG or something like that. Keep Neesmith in the starting lineup because he's earned it and then let a guy like Jarius or Cam Whitmore or whoever come off the bench and kind of earn those minutes, earn that spot. And then the last nine games of the year, 10 games of the year, maybe you'll see them thrust into that starting lineup to kind of figure it out. But I think next year they're going to be in a different spot in terms of where they're, where they're at pick wise, playoff wise, that kind of thing. I just, my personal opinion. And like you said, if Harden leaves Philadelphia, that could be a whole mess up. There's a lot of stuff that could change around the Eastern conference where the Pacers might feel pretty good about the direction they're heading. So Tyler, any any names that you're looking at free agent trade wise, anything like that? I think the only free agent thing that I'm looking at, and uh, it depends on their tra- on their uh, their draft plans uh, more than anything else. Uh, one guy that I definitely had uh, my eye on in the trade deadline around the trade deadline was Jalen McDaniels uh, from the yeah. Charlotte Hornets. Uh, and we, we saw the Pacers being tied to them multiple times as far as like the rumors went uh, in the lead up uh, to the draft. I think their top target, at least for the draft itself, like very likely is power forward a la uh, Jerry Swalker, Cam Whitmore. If somehow that uh, they had the lottery not go their way and they would slip, which uh, I really hope does not happen, of course, uh, <laughs> 
that would be the only situation then to where I imagine that they try to target that need in free agency then because McDaniels is one of the most underrated defenders uh, in the in the league by far. So uh, he fits exactly what this team does need, uh, like for a hard-nosed, like on-the-ball defense. Like we've got guys who can play like good off-the-ball, namely Halliburton for the amount of steals that he can rack up. But we need guys that can match up on size uh, to take on the opponent better because uh, we can't get bullied on every other uh, possession uh, of the opponent uh, and lead to easy points. Like we got to find ways to uh, get stops a lot more often than we have over the course of this season. So uh, I think McDaniels, uh, he's not going to cost a a real lot. Uh, I'd say his value has gone a little bit more up because he had a career high scoring year at that as well. But I think he would honestly be perfect, but my focus primarily would be uh, go through the draft first and then the trade targets uh, and the free agent targets, I think will be a, a lot more clear moving forward then. No, I completely agree. And I, I would tell you this, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw two or three type of forwards drafted this year by the Pacers, depending on where they pick, if they try to move a, move a player plus a pick to move up and, target a certain player. I'm not sure who they're going to target. I'm just saying I could see them trying to use their their ammo of picks to move up and, and target somebody, you know. But it does feel like there is like a drop-off from like the top seven. So if they fall to like nine or ten, <laughs> maybe they have to go a different route and maybe go for somebody that's at, uh, that could play the four, maybe the three, but could play the four too. I don't know. It'll be interesting. But I do want to move on here to the next topic now because this is something Tyler brought up is – one last thing he wanted to look at here, and he said, with the breakout of Neesmith and Wara, what would you offer as fair extension value? So once again, Tyler, since this was your question, I'll start with you, and then we'll go to Chris. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so as far as Neesmith goes... uh... He's going to be entering the final year of his rookie deal. He's uh, going to be making $5.6 million, which uh, is actually a pretty high increase from how uh, the structure of his uh, first three years on his contract were. It's nearly a $2 million increase, which is uh, kind of crazy, at least. I admittedly do not follow uh, how uh, how backloaded the structure is on certain rookie contracts, but that I found uh, pretty interesting. So then going into... Uh, Going into his free agency year, at least as a restricted free agent, his qualifying offer was listed as $7.8 million on Spotrack. And that is actually something that I looked up after I put the perceived uh, value of what I would offer him on a contract extension. 
and it wasn't that far off actually. Like I wrote down for my numbers, I would do three years, $21 million. It's not too high off of the final year that he is making. And the fact that uh, the qualifying offer like offers like offers like a little bit more money as far as like AAV would go. I think that would fall pretty well in line. The only reason I wouldn't put more up is just because of how streaky he is. Either he has his shot for the whole game or he struggles to find it the entire time. And at the time that he does, it's too late in the game for it to uh, lead to a win. So as much as I would want to go higher because uh, I love uh, the long-term potential that he does have uh, as a defender and a scorer, I mean, he's only 23 years old, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just so much more to play with uh, as far as the future goes. So that would be about what I would do as fair value at the moment. And then for Wara, who... Let, let's actually go real quick to Chris on his okay. thoughts on Aaron Neesmith's contract because I'm curious what Chris has to say. It almost looked like he raised his eyebrows a little bit when you said your dollar amount. So, Chris, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, uh, I I agree with a lot of what Tyler said. Um, you know, I went at it a little bit different. I looked up comparable wings and what their contracts were. So, Nasir Little last year got a contract. Uh, about $7 million per year. Royce O'Neal is another guy. He makes $10 million annually. And I was just thinking about the way the cap is going and how it's just it's going to keep going up. Those contracts, like $7 million is probably not enough. Um, he's a 3 and D wing. He's shooting 36% from three. He can guard two through four. Um, for me, 10, 10 mil a year, I would be comfortable giving him that. Three for 30, four for 40. I'd be comfortable doing that. Um, it's not at the moment, he's probably worth more, more closer to seven, but we're projecting out basically two seasons from now, you know, mm -hmm. or a season and a half. And the way the cap's going, $10 million would be, I think, more than fair for a guy that's three and D. I mean, that's just, that's just where we're going. All right, Chris, I'm going to come back to you. What is the most you would pay him per year if that was too small? Is the, Okay, well, let's talk. Is is he going to have a breakout? Because, I mean, this is a breakout this year, but is he going right. to continue the trend of getting better, or is it just going to be this is what he is? We don't see better ball handling. We don't see better finishing or consistency. Yeah. You know what he I mean? Is, he is 23 years old. I, I think we yeah. have to project a little bit that he's going to get better. I think that we can also look at his numbers with Tyrese Halliburton and without Tyrese Halliburton and notice how much better of a player he is with Tyrese. Um, Absolutely. I think that does matter a little bit, and I don't know if he's going to start or not. Like I said, I could see him starting again. They could go bigger. They could go Neesmith, Matherin, Halliburton, whoever they draft, and put him at the four, and then Turner, or if they trade for a four, and then move Nimhard to the bench. But Nimhard's defense has been so good, uh, and it really takes a lot of pressure off of Halliburton that I don't know if they're going to do that right away. So I'm just curious, what is the highest number you think you would go at if you believe that he's going to get better based on he's only 23 years old? I mean, if he keeps getting better, I'd go up to 15 a year. Okay. I mean, 15. Doug McDermott, Doug McDermott has a contract of $13 million. And right. that's, uh, we've seen what McBuckets is, right? Like he's a one-way player. Yeah. Uh, Smith, he plays both sides of the, of the floor and that's, that's just so valuable. And if he just yeah. keeps getting better and be a borderline starter, I feel like $15 million is, is that's just market. Okay, Tyler, I'll let you uh, give me the same. Give me your answer on that question. I would go about at least like the first amount that he was mentioning. Like I would currently like cap it no more than uh, ten million. And I know, as they say, as far as uh, 
extending a player or uh, signing a free agent. It's always not about what the player is right now, but what he can be, of course. So that's understandable for the for the amount of uh, difference there was where I said $7 million at first, and then there was the jump to uh, $10 million. That would be about as far as I do go, at least. Uh, I think the only reason why I stand at the first amount is because it's difficult to predict uh, what his uh, true long-term role is going to be. Clearly, he's going to be part of this future because uh, he's uh, surprised so many people with uh, how much he's boosted his game from right in the back end of the bench in Boston to uh, like more than doubling his playing time, uh, showing his defensive potential, uh, managing to uh, hit threes at uh, a higher rate than he did before. It's just all a matter of, is he a starter? Or is he a rotational player from the second unit? I still think it's going to be more in line with the latter. But um, again, that would be as far as I go would be like 10 million and like nothing more for that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, when I think about Nisma's contract, I'm, I'm just going to share where I think I'm at right now. I would say probably somewhere around the three for 36, three for 40, something along that lines, not a four or five year contract, make it about a three year deal. So there's still some flexibility. It's good enough that you can, you know, feel like he's pretty secure with that money. So you're looking about 12, 13 million a year. And then it's also very easy to trade if you decide to go that route as well. And I think if you have all these small contracts, it can be a lot, but I think he could be a nice piece if you do a little bit of a bigger trade to trade for somebody. Now he's still got a long way to go. We've only seen one really consistent year of him because he was buried on the bench in Boston. But with the way that Carlisle's praised him, the impact that I think he's had on this team, because I said it earlier, when they took him and put him in the starting lineup for Jalen Smith, that's when this team started winning games. So he's a winning player. And I think that they will reward that. I don't think they'll look to move him, but I could see them trying to maybe move him this season as well just because I think teams might be in, interested in what he did and maybe doing that long-term in a different role. So uh, that that's where I'm at with it. But Tyler, I'm going to go back to you now. Let's let's go to the other guy you brought up here, Jordan Mora. What are your thoughts on his contract extension? Well, he's definitely on a steal of a deal as far as the one that he's on with Milwaukee. I believe uh, it, was, uh, it was two years uh, and uh, I think – $5.8 million, uh, I think on Spotrack as well, it said there were likely incentives incentives of uh, $200,000 for uh, each year for that. So uh, his cap hit for next year is only $3.2 million. And at least from the production that he's been putting through since putting on a Pacers uniform, it's uh, pretty great for how much uh, he's uh, exceeded that, at least out of the sample size so far now. I was a bit careful as far as uh, putting together the projections for the numbers because uh this is this is shaping up to be the similar situation with uh, Jalen Smith, a guy who had a, a great season as far as like playing for a new team, a new role, and more in playing time uh, after the trade deadline. Which for Wara, that's essentially like the same situation with him. He's done really good things with us. He's been scoring at a rate that he never was able to in Milwaukee. Same thing for uh, hitting his threes. The only thing that is concerning is that, again, small sample size, but his free throw percentage has regressed heavily uh, since coming over here. In fact, uh, it's dropped from 86 from the amount that he was taking in Milwaukee to 68.8, like over in Indy now. Again, that's something that they can easily work on for the future. And uh, if they see him as a long-term piece, which at least my presumption is that they do, 
that is something that can be improved on at least. Mm -hmm. So for the value that I put in that, uh, the current uh, cap hit for the following season before he would hit free agency again, I have listed at 3.2 million. I would say he has uh, outplayed that uh, so far based on the production that he has given. And what I would stand right now, it would be three years for $15 million. Because again, it's all about a matter of taking that sample size and how much do you believe to expand on it from a financial point of view? So that's about where I stand uh, with him uh, right now. I'm curious to uh, hear you guys' uh, thoughts if uh, your uh, values would be around the same. Chris? Yeah, no. Uh, we are, we're kind of lockstep on this one. Uh, I have a couple guys that signed similar deals uh, that I value about the same. Gallinari last year signed for $6 million per year. Current Gallinari, not prime Gallinari. And then Kenrich <laughs> Williams from OKC. Uh, they both signed their average annual value is about six million per year. That that feels right. So I mean, I'm only a million over what Tyler was saying. So a three for eighteen, four for twenty-four. Uh, that feels pretty good for me. Yeah, I think the four years is probably a little bit too long for the Pacers to want to really tie him down for four years. The only reason why is because I'm worried about his playing time. I just don't know if he's going to be able to find the court based on who they draft and who they trade for and all the moves they're going to make. Now, if they do want to bring him back and they do want to give him an extension, I think somewhere around the ballpark of three for 15 is where I would probably land. Maybe three for 16, like just a little bit over five, but more so I think I would be putting a player or actually a team option on that third year. That way the Pacers have a little bit more control of what's going on there. And I think Wara, it would be a buy from him because like, if that's really all he had in the offseason was to go back to Milwaukee, that's not super telling of what teams are uh, what other teams around the league think about him. So I think that he's polarizing us because it's been such like a desperation need to have a guy that 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 has that size and shooting ability. But is he consistent enough? Is he a guy that you can rely on? Because defensively, I have not been impressed with him at all. I think he's, you know, God, like, no like a revolving door, like a sliding door. He's just a guy that, hey, you know what? I was laughing because if you watch the game against Milwaukee, there was like five plays in a row where they were going to Ben Matherin in the mid-post isolation stuff. Well, the very next play, they decided not to run for Matherin. Who got the ball? Wara. What's the first thing he did? Look to score. And I just feel like there's going to be too many guys that have priority over him in the scoring option that he's going to feel like, He's not being utilized. I feel like War is always going to end up being like a ninth, tenth, eleventh man on any roster that he's on. So yeah, not bad for like probably a sec, probably a third string, small forward, power forward combo kind of guy. But I just don't think he's a long term fit. Even though I know you said that you thought he could be Tyler, I just wonder if you're really trying to make this a playoff level team. He couldn't see the court because Milwaukee had too many guys ahead of him. But outside of Giannis, I mean, who other, what other small forwards do they really have? I mean, they're playing Wes Matthews over him at certain points, you know. And Wes Matthews has experience, but he did not look that good against the Pacers this year. So <laughs> I just think that War is a fine player. I, I like what we've seen from him. I don't know if I believe in investing in term into him long term, just because there's going to be other options, I think, out there that you could – upgrade that position in free agency or via trade. Tyler, your thoughts. Now I can see that point of view right there because uh, 
even though like it is like that dramatic change of role for him, uh, that is true. And the fact that uh, it definitely depends on offseason moves in particular for if he's going to be guaranteed this same amount of expanded play in time <laughs> that he has gotten in Indiana. And uh, I think, I think honestly, and uh, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I honestly think uh, what they plan to do with Chris Duarte is what truly determines if he's going to get anywhere close to that playing time again, because uh of how Duarte seems to not find his role anymore. Like they both play like at least like that same like wing area right there. Mm -hmm. Now I know Duarte is more naturally a two, but he's been like used uh, as a three, like more often than not as well. So I think it's all really tied to that above all right there is that uh, if they trade Duarte, that opens the window to where like Wara could get like more playing time to uh, try to build his uh, style of play, get more uh, shot attempts to, I think a lot of it just ties to that because uh, certain position groups, like they really have uh, to be uh, like settled out this off season to where we know this person is not going to, is not going to get screwed on playing time because we see him as a valuable contributor. Like th it's mm -hmm. just, it's going to be a very interesting off season. I know we already said that for the previous because it was like the first step going in the rebuild direction but I think this one is just as if not more important with now that they've seen what all these guys do have, but who can they really see being like the true guys down the road though? Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think this offseason is much bigger than last year, even though last year was huge. It started in February by getting Halliburton. And that's when the offseason really started last year. So, you know, I, I know it's crazy to say that, but it is true. Making that big of a change to your roster, going on a complete rebuild mode the rest of the year, and then going into the offseason and basically telling everybody, hey, we might not be good. So it's like this year you're going to have another good draft pick. You're going to have more cap flexibility. Miles' contract is very team-friendly moving forward. You know, you got guys on expiring. So it is definitely going to be very big for the Pacers, and I think you're going to see a lot of roster change with this team, but I think the core is going to stay intact and how they build around it's going to be huge because Halliburton's ready to, to play in the playoffs. And I don't think he wants to be, you know, not playing the last five games of the season uh, at the end of the year next year. So Chris, any, any final thoughts before we move on to the draft stuff? No, no. I just want to specify that, you know, the value of Wara is not exactly what I would pay him. My value is what I think that I saw other contracts were, what other teams might give him. I completely agree with you, Alex. I don't know if he's the type of guy that you want on the court in certain situations to be a winning player. He's a turnstile on defense. He's His offense is great, but like you said, like if I'd rather have Ben with the ball than Wara, if that's the difference, right? So I, I think those guys are easier to find, and I'd much rather, if I can only keep one, keep Aaron Esmith over Wara at that point. Yeah, that's a great point. And then let me ask you this, Chris. If you had to pick between Duarte and Wara, who would you rather have? Uh, I'd still take Duarte. I, we've okay. seen the peaks of, of Duarte. I mean, he's just had – I mean, this is Gordon Hayward-esque snake bin year. Like, he's just <laughs> – everything that could go wrong will go wrong for Duarte. And the shiny new toy, Ben Matherin, being the number six pick, like, it's been tough for him. So I, I do have a, a level of sympathy, and I think that I, – I think we're a little bit too down on Duarte. I think Duarte is still the guy that we thought he was after his rookie year. It's just – it's been the season from hell for him. Yeah, I think a lot of it goes into the lack of trading Buddy Heald, too. I think that there is a real, like – 
thought that went through with the Pacers probably going to do that deal. And then they decided, well, we value Buddy and Miles too much to just make that deal. So we're not just going to make it to make it. But I think in the back of their mind, they're thinking, we got Chris Duarte, who was lights out, our rookie second team, probably would have made the first team if he had played, you know, all 82 games and been healthy and that kind of thing. And they weren't a tanking team. So I, I think that they were really hyped on him as well. And then you add Ben Mather into the mix. You you feel pretty good about that trio of Halliburton, Mather, and Duarte. And we thought those three should start, bring Buddy off the bench. And that's not the way that it went. I know <laughs> Duarte got some minutes as a starter, but I just feel like you said it's been a bad year for him. He's had the sophomore slump. Do they move off of him? I can see them doing it only because of the growth we've seen from Matherin and Nimhard. So it's just, you know, he could be a bigger trade chip because of the, the rookie contract. But the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's move on now to the NBA draft conversation here. Not really sure how you want to kick us off here, Chris, but... Take it away with your thoughts on this upcoming draft. Maybe somebody you like, maybe your top three, top five. I don't I don't know. Just just take me where you're ready to go because I'm giving you the keys. Okay, so my draft thoughts start with one word. It's optionality. Okay, okay that's, Kevin Pritchard. That's, that's, yeah, right? <laughs> Come on, you got to have, have a little cheesiness in, you know, in Fauci's honor. But uh, the, pa- <laughs> uh, oh, the, yes. Pacers, the Pacers have – Five draft picks, four in the top 32 as of right now. Um, and I, those of you at home, if you've never heard of the site Tankathon, it's a site that you should get to know. It is a fun site where you can go and, and spin the lottery wheel and see your luck. Uh, I end up doing it about 20 times at work a day <laughs> just to see how you it goes. You need help. I do need help. I do need help. You're right. Um, but basically what I'm saying is that there's there's just so many options that I guess the, the Pacers are going to be going through right now uh, with the draft. So I guess where to start is if we get lucky and actually end up in the top four. That totally changes your board on what you're going to do. Um, I love the article you put out on the setting the pace sub stack where you put your big board. Pretty much agree with every your top four. Um, I, I could be talked into the Thompson twins, uh, the Ringer yeah. article that I read really kind of got me hyped up on the Thompson twins and what they could bring to the table. Uh, but if you guys haven't been on uh, the setting the pace sub stack, Alex's top four was, uh, it was Wemby. Was it Brandon Miller? Yep. Scoot Henderson. And then Jairus Walker, correct? Yep. That's my top four yeah. right now. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I'm locked up with those. Um, if we don't get that lottery luck, cause there's just like last year, there's a better chance that we're going to move down in the lottery than we are going to move up in the lottery, uh, anywhere from six to 10, the guys I like there, the Thompson twins, Jairus Walker, Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks from you, uh, yeah. from UCF, Grady Dick, and then, um, Wallace from Kentucky. I mean, a lot of guys are comparing him to Drew Holiday. I know we have a bunch of guards, but if you get the opportunity to get a guy, uh, at that level, I'd be all about it. And then in the 20s, man, you said it earlier. You could see the Pacers taking a bunch of wings 
there's so many wings later in the draft in the 20s and 30s that I could get behind. Chris Murray would be great. Uh, you know, Maxwell Lewis, Leonard Miller, Derek Whitehead, uh, Gigi Jackson, all of those. So uh, for me with the draft, those are kind of some of the names that I like. And, uh, and Alex, you got to do more big board stuff. Cause I, I and we got to see Fauci's big board. Cause I want to uh, compare. I don't that think we want to see that. Yours. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we want to see Fauci's big board. I, I don't even know if he has one yet, to be honest with you. Uh, All right, well, we'll see his top his top five then. How's that? I'll, yeah, no, we're definitely going to be doing a lot of draft coverage. We're going to be excited about doing that. And last year we did like a mock draft and everything on the pod. A lot of people gave me positive feedback on that. And I think our friends from uh, No Ceilings, they're going to be helping us out, maybe kind of grading the picks and that kind of stuff Ooh. too to give it a nice little feel of of production more than just uh, – let me listen to a mock draft. But we'll definitely do our Pacers – Top 10, Pacers, big board, that kind of stuff. But, Tyler, I'm going to give the floor to you. Draft talk, what you got? Admittedly, I'm uh, more high on power forwards uh, above anything else as far as, like, uh, the lottery selection does go. Like, all I hope is that if we do – if we get luck to really go our way, say go, like, top – say go, like, uh, third or or fourth. I'm not saying one or two. I'm, like, uh, not holding my breath for that. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, as far as like anything high, Brandon Miller would definitely be the biggest prize uh, as far as uh, that goes. Uh, definitely going to need to hope those lotto balls fall the right way, though. But uh, as far as from where we stand uh, right now, which I believe we're seventh right now, correct? Yeah, seventh yep. right now. Okay, so uh, let's really hope that uh, Portland and uh, Orlando win some more games going down the stretch because that will really help us for uh, where we are at. But uh, that's besides the point, though. Uh, I'm – in particular, high on uh, on a uh, Walker and Whitmore. I think those guys like perfectly fit the bill for what we are uh, most in need of, uh, like for the team needs. Uh, needing that uh, definitive uh, power forward, not using uh, a guard to try to to try to defend guys that are a lot bigger than them. So getting either one of them would be would be like the best. Uh, and then somehow if we were to trade up like into the late lottery and snag a. Uh, Alex, one of your favorite guys, Taylor Hendricks, that would be like the dream right there to like get one of these guys that you can potentially plug and play uh, like on day one and then have one come off the bench. I mean, that's like a spoil of riches uh, for uh, what the Pacers need. Now, say if things don't go our way, say if we fall down lower the top 10, then I think Grady Dick would like would be the selection in that case. Admittedly, not the sexy pick compared to like the needs that we do need, but uh his shooting is definitely something that uh, would uh, come in great hands. Uh, and uh, similar to Halliburton, he's a uh, really good defending off the ball as well. So uh, any one of those three I could hop on board with. Uh, and then as far as the second round pick, uh, as far as I believe like each team has either six or seven games left on their schedule, we really need to hope the Rockets lose like lose more games uh, than the Spurs do because mm-hmm. the gap is so narrow between them uh, right now where they're only a game and a half ahead. That second rounder through the Rockets, if uh, the Spurs were to have a worse, re- were to have like a, a worse record down the stretch than Houston, then they could drop into that second spot and we could lose that pick. That's just, right. I'm putting that out for like people like uh, that think like this pick from Houston is not a gimme. Like it's, no. it's protected. Uh, it's protected like for every spot with the exception of like one and two in the second round. So that's something that's going to be really closely looked at uh, as well, because that will be again, like the last draft, probably the one of the biggest value that 
could be of use for Kevin Pritchard's optionality, of course. So um, I could see us uh, as far as like the amount of picks that we have and the amount of players that we already have locked down to the roster for next year. I definitely envision not all of them being used for a player because you don't want to create like as much a logjam as you've already been dealing with for this uh, past season. So uh, I could see them making a move to uh, get farther up because uh, those uh, low first, uh, while they aren't uh, of as high value as, say, having another pick within the top 15, you attach a player or two and you still have a good chance at moving up to like get that next uh, potential high ceiling player to add. Yeah, those are all great points. And I, you know, you know, I love Taylor Hendricks. I will just put this out here. I'm going to say it probably all offseason. I don't think he falls out of the top 10. I think he's going to be a top mm -hmm. 10 pick because of his fit and his shooting. I mean, the guy is a freak athlete, can jump above the rim. I think I've talked to some people off air. I'm not going to say who, but, you know, we've had a very in depth conversation about Cam Whitmore versus Taylor Hendricks. And, Cam Whitmore is kind of like a taller Ben Matherin. And so it could be a little bit redundant if you have both of them on the floor together. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's not something they could work out. So I'm still higher on the upside of Cam Whitmore than Taylor Hendricks. But I think fit-wise, especially plugging into the starting lineup, I think Hendricks probably fits more right away. But this is also where I think you could see something similar to this year, where a guy that gets drafted maybe not with the top five, six pick, Maybe it's somebody that's drafted at wherever we trade. If we if we're at twenty, what is it, twenty six, twenty eight, you know, twenty four, twenty six, wherever we're at, uh, with the Cavs and the Celtics pick, do you try to package both those with a player, or package one of them with a player on the roster currently to move up? And I think someone they could target, somebody that Chris brought up earlier, is Chris Murray. I I just believe that they could see something similar because they love Keegan last year. We know that, and they love experienced players that they can plug in right away. And I think similar to Nimhard jumping right in, Chris Murray is going to be a very smart basketball player. And I think that he's someone that could play defense, give you some size, decent rebounding, shooting, and he's a lefty. And I think the Pacers could use a lefty on their team to be a little <laughs> bit different. I'm just saying they have all right. Yeah, yeah, like pretty much. So just, just my thoughts there, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't think they're going to take, they got five picks in this draft. They also got a pick from Milwaukee from that from that war of trade. I think it's like pick 55 or something like that right now. So they've got five picks in this year's draft. They're not going to pick five players. We'll just put it that way. Um, their two-way roster spot will probably be open in the offseason. They did just let Treble and Quinn go. They signed Gabe York to that two-way deal, but I would be shocked if he's still the two-way guy after the draft. Um, we saw Kendall Brown get that other two-way spot last year before they cut Dwayne Washington. So, you know, it's just... It's just going to be interesting. But I think overall, it's a really exciting draft. And the Thompson Twins, I think, have been slept on quite a bit. I'm not sure which one I'm higher on. For the majority of the year, I've been a men Thompson over a sore. But a sore has really, I mean, he had a great year at OTE. And I think there could be some changing up in my big board uh, between those two. Just based on some of the research I've done, maybe I'm spoiling too much here, Chris, but uh, I will be having, <laughs> I will be having a mock draft come out after the national title game that week. So next week, sometime I will have a, my first mock draft on setting the pace, substack dot uh, setting the pace podcast.substack.com. Um, but other than that, I'm going to save most of my draft conversation for that. Any, anything else you guys want to talk about draft wise before I let you go, Chris. 
Uh, one thing for when you do your mock draft, are you going to do it per standings or are you going to do it per one spin of tankathons? <laughs> you know, no, draft lotto. So I will probably stick with the original standings right now as they yeah. are, but I might throw a trade or two in there and I might yeah. ask around other people just to kind of bounce off some ideas like, Hey, do you think this would make sense for a trade for this team or that gotcha. team, whatever. So keep your eyes on that because it won't just be like a straight up, like here's my top 30, whatever. Um, I'll probably go 32 just to give the Pacers that other pick they have there. If it's still theirs <laughs> at that point, but mm-hmm. I'm sure fans would be, like to see who I have in the second round for him. But uh, Tyler, any more draft thoughts? Yeah. As far as that second round pick, um, as uh, if say if uh, Houston was to like Houston was to screw around and somehow won more than they they should and they leap that that pick uh, and looking at Tankathon it could fall to either be in Dallas's Golden State's or Miami's like it is one of the most complex uh, <laughs> like uh, protection second rounders I've I've seen at least like in in like recent years so. Uh, that's going to be the main thing to keep an eye on, on if uh, on like exactly like how low or uh, high that could go. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Pacers probably are more willing to move the Cavs and Celtics picks to have that second round optionality, like you guys said. <laughs> like what they were able to do with Nimhard, just give them a four year contract outright at this amount of money. That might be more exciting than giving them guaranteed money and having the the bird rights. But I think the bird rights are also enticing as well with first round picks and at 26 through 29, wherever those picks fall at, you know, that that is not that high of a salary where if you're getting up into the top five, you're paying a lot more money per year. And they usually do <clears throat> kind of like raise each year. I know you were talking about uh, Neesmith's contract. I think they're all pretty much designed to kind of just raise up a little. And that is something I wouldn't be surprised if they did that with Neesmith as well. Like we were talking earlier with this contract, if they kind of do something where like, uh, increases each year where Buddy Heald's kind of decreased because the the Kings, I think at the time, had more money. They were able to like take a couple million off each year as it declined. So y- you never know. There's always weird ways they can do structures with contracts. Obviously, we've seen that with Miles, but this is really the big offseason because Tyrese Halliburton's max contract extension won't kick in until the summer of 2024, and that's when the money starts getting even more tight. So this is why this year is so important to try to find the right guys to put on this roster. But other than that, I have pretty much said all I need to say, Tyler, let people know where they can find you out on social media and throw out any final thoughts you got. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at run TMC three, one seven, same on Instagram. I don't really post too often on there, but uh did recently attend the World Baseball Classic uh, out in Miami, so uh, finally put out a post for the first time in God knows how many months uh, of a <laughs> recap of my trip. It was a lot of fun out there, and uh, for uh, you being a fan of the Cardinals, Alex, it was cool to see Goldschmidt and Arnado perform as strong as they did uh, over yeah. there. But uh, yeah, catch me on either of those uh, channels right there. I talk about the Pacers and Colts uh, on Twitter, but uh, baseball season taking over. It's going to dominate more on there, but uh Always up for a good uh, Pacers and Colts conversation on there. Awesome. And I can confirm we're on video now that Tyler is a backwards hat kind of guy. So just want to throw that out there. Chris, people know where they can find you and all the awesome work you're doing. Yep. Uh, So you can check out my podcast as well, uh, Prodigy Sports Podcast. Uh, We cover football, basketball, and fantasy sports. So if anybody's into that, 
Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram of both of those, Prodigy Sports uh, Podcast. And, yeah, that's about it. Um, heading to the Pacers game tomorrow. I live in western Illinois, so it's about four-and-a-half-hour drive. But wow. uh, let's see who the Pacers decide to play. I see SGA is already not playing in the Thunder game, so that's disappointing. But, uh, yeah, you know, excited to go to a Pacers game. Yeah, I believe Dustin Dopierak put out a tweet today that said he kind of hedged around asking Carlisle about Halliburton and Turner, and he said that there's probably a, a, a likelihood that we don't see them the rest of the year. So don't get your hopes up to see Halley or Miles, but you'll get to see the Benedict Matherin show, which yep. is exciting because it's good to see him get that time. But if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get at setting the pace. We can be found pretty much anywhere. Just type it on Google. I'm at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter and Instagram. Fachi is at underscore F-A-C-C-I. Follow us on Twitter at setting the pace three on Instagram at Pacers Talk. YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Substack. Subscribe to that. We got a lot of different outlets for you guys, so just a lot coming your way. But gentlemen, if you guys both listen to the show, you know how we end this thing. So if you are excited for the future of the Indiana Pacers, gentlemen, hit me with those three words. Let's go, Let's Pacers. Go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping everything.